It's almost afternoon, but we can still say good morning. All right, I am going to call on Andrew to come and read for us the passage, uh, the main passage for this morning. There are many passages, but this is the main one. Andrew. And I'm going to sit here playing the piano. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Andrew? Wonderful. All right, let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for the privilege to look into your word this morning. We pray that you bless us as we look into your word. And I pray that you will guide and guard my words, direct them, so that there will be words that you will want me to say. I pray for rich blessing for everyone that is here this morning, that you will speak, that our hearts will be challenged and encouraged. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, we, we've been on this topic for a while, and we'll be on it for a little while. So I just want to check to make sure that the technology, that I know how to use the technology. See? All right. So I have an idea what it is now. So it's good to see you. And it's a, a nice morning. Now, if you were at 9.30 meeting this morning, what was the word that was emphasized over and over again? Very good. Wonderful. Can you please say that again? Good. So I started uh, preaching on uh, the believers which is in Christ, freedom from sin. That was uh, about two months ago, so I'm back. So, and I didn't finish, I left, I did the first part, and I, this is the second part. But we are going to get there, but I have a question for you. And I need an answer. I want you to think about it. And uh, think about it and come with an answer. So the question is what is your most precious possession? sure you've thought about it before and if you haven't you will now or you are thinking about it does anybody want to jump <laughs> eternal life it's a very very precious possession this is true but the question I'm asking applies to those without eternal life, everyone, what do you consider the most precious possession to you? What's that? Children, if you have children, that could be an answer. Freedom, freedom indeed, it's also a good answer. Your, your, your what? <laughs> your face. <laughs> that could be an answer for some people too. <laughs> That's, the idea is to get you smiling and to get you thinking. Wonderful. That could be an answer. Some people, to some people, their children are, to some people, their face. <laughs> what else? <laughs> What's that? 
the gift of life. A good health. Forgiveness. All of those things are precious. But I'd like to suggest my own answer. So since you have diverse answers, let's take this as mine. Okay? I believe that the gift of life is your most precious possession. Regardless of who you are, regardless of where you are, the fact that you have life is a great and very wonderful possession. Anytime I get to call my sister back home, she answers the phone and I say, how are you doing? And she says, thank God. I am among the living. So it's a gift, and it's a very precious possession. And uh, I want to advise that this advice is for you and me. Don't waste it. I've been in Canada for almost 27 years, longer than I was in Nigeria. And 27 years seems like yesterday, but it seems to be galloping. And I can say that the time seems to be moving faster than I thought it would move. And so, I'm thinking the time is getting shorter, but there is still life, and I need to not waste my life. So the advice I give to you and I give to myself is like, let us not waste our lives. Don't just spend it. You know, waste, you might say, well, I'm doing bad things. Spend means I'm really not doing anything. I, I just coast. I just coast, and the time is sticking by and moving. So don't just spend it. I like to suggest that you should invest your life. You should invest it. And you should think of every day as a day to invest life. You should think of every opportunity as an opportunity to invest the life that God has given to you. The Lord Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, that's Jesus Christ, he stated his mission statement, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's why he came. I'm sure he came to give us everlasting life. He also came to give us eternal life, which begins the moment you become a Christian. And that can be an abundant life for you. So why did he come? He came to give life. 
eternal life. And the question will be, do you have that life? If you don't, today could be your day. The only reason why Jesus went to the cross to die is to give eternal life to every one of us. That's the only reason. He didn't just die because the people were not nice to him or just to become a martyr or something. It wasn't any of that. It was so that we may have life. Because by default, we are all sinners and dead in our sin. So we needed the life of God restored in us. That's why Jesus came. Went to the cross and died. And so he could say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I know that quite a few of you are believers. You have everlasting life. I like to challenge those who are not. Do you have eternal life? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's the beginning of life. And if you don't, today should be your day, your turn to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the next question will be then, who is the thief? Does anybody want to try? It's, it's an open question. The devil is the thief. He has a mission and a purpose. He comes only to steal, to steal life, to kill, to kill, you know, life, abundant life, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life. I'd like to suggest to you that he has assistance as well. And that's where freedom comes in. There are also assistance to the devil. See, usually I put some notes at the bottom there. Just, and see, they're small because I tend to forget what I'm supposed to say. So I put it there. So yeah, just in case you're wondering, why does he put these ones in small font? Small print, it's for me. And if you happen to be able to read it as well, it's good for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, he has assistance. And sometimes one of those is sin. A man that is living in sin is not having an abundant life. And sometimes some of those assistants are, you know, selfish indulgences. Could be food, overeating, lack of sleep, oversleeping, all of those things. And sometimes some of those assistants that hinder us from enjoying full life could be memories from the past. Bad memories from the past, and then we fixate on those memories, and, you know, life seems to be passing us by. And it could also be things that the Lord has blessed us with. We're so fixated on those things that we miss the provider of the things. And it could be the fear of the future. It gets all of our heart and we cannot enjoy the Lord or the presence. It's also possible that sometimes it could be that you have an identity crisis. You forget that you are a child of God. 
that Jesus has bought you with his precious blood. And then you begin to doubt, who am I? Why am I here? And then you get fixated on that. And all of those things, they come and then they hinder life. And so, those are some of the assistants that come. And freedom is to help us not just talk about the thief himself, but also the assistants, to see what we need to do with the assistants to the chief. All of those items, yeah, and much more. So let's continue where we left off the last time. Freedom from sinning. It's possible. Not sinless perfection, but a case of not making it a habit to live in sin. Romans 6, which was read, says that if you are a Christian, you are dead to sin and alive to God. This is true. You are dead to sin and you are alive to God. So you can have victory over sin. When I started um, two months ago, I dealt with uh, the first two. Instruction to the mind, you need to know what God's word says. That's Romans 6, 1 to 10. Instruction to the heart, you need to reckon or count or consider what God's word says to be true for you. And I said, we will continue with this. Instruction to the will, you need to yield and present or present. So we are mostly here, but because I recall it's two months, it's been a long time. Sometimes I even forgot what I said two months ago. So we will try to at least recap part of what we said the last time. Instruction to the mind, no. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So the Christian is dead to sin. As a principle, he's dead to sin. You see, when Jesus died, we died in him and with him. That's what the Bible says. When he was buried, our old life or our sinful nature was buried in him and with him. And when he arose, we arose with him in newness to life. So if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin. Sin doesn't have to control your life. You have a choice to make. We, that if you are a believer, are in Christ, and we have a new relationship to sin, free from the power of sin, so we have the privilege of living in victory. We can live in victory. Instruction to the heart. These are the things I spent time speaking the last time. So I just want to breeze through it so I can get to at least part of what I want to say this morning. Romans 6, 11 says, Even so, consider or reckon yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are dead to sin if you are a believer, but you are also alive to God in Christ. 
So you have the potential or the ability to live above sin. But it says you have to do this. You have to reckon or consider. You have to simply believe that what God says in his word is true for you. I can't do that for you. You have to do that. So you have to tell yourself, I am dead to sin because the word of God says so. Reckon or count that to be true for you. So today, instruction to the will, we need to yield. I am using the New American Standard Bible, so translation which might have sent some terms that are different, but hopefully we can get something. So therefore, verse 11 says, consider yourself to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. Then verse 12 says, therefore, in view of this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its laws. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So that's verse 12 to 14. Let's dig in. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its laws and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. This instruction is given to only believers, not somebody that is not a believer. Is given to only those who are dead to sin but alive to God. Given that you are dead to sin and alive to God, do not let. It's almost like I have the power not to let sin reign. Sin should not dominate my life. And it says, do not go on presenting the members of your body. The members of your body will be, don't present your hand to do sinful things. Don't present your mouth to do sinful things. Don't present your eyes to do your, your members, parts of your body. Don't use your feet to do sinful things. He said, don't do that. And that's instructions to believers. He says, do not go on presenting. Presenting. It's almost like don't make a habit of doing this. As, don't do that. You see, sin comes in as a guest and then becomes a friend and then it becomes a servant and ultimately your master if you present yourself that way. So my hands, my feet, my tongue, the various parts of my body can be used as instruments to sin. But the Bible says don't do that because you are dead to sin. It tells me not to do that and it tells you not to do that. But this is what we should do. Present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members 
as instruments of righteousness to God. He's saying I should put myself, if you like, at God's disposal. I should present myself to God as those alive from the dead. And I should present my hands, my mouth, my feet, my tongue, my legs, whatever instruments God has given me, I should present them to God to do righteousness. Because we can do that. You see, the idea is that of a living sacrifice. That's what a believer is. You are dead to sin, but alive to God. When Jesus died, you died with him. When he arose, you rose with him. So by default, you are a living sacrifice. Two examples of living sacrifices that we know of. Isaac was. Remember him? His dad and his mom, they had him when his dad was how many years old? I checked that out this morning. The man was a hundred years old when he had Isaac. And at some point, I believe probably in his teenage years, God spoke to Abraham and said, take Isaac and take him to the mount and sacrifice him. I'm suspecting that Isaac was a teenager with lots of uh, that. And when his dad took him to the mount, his dad was a hundred years old. And he followed his dad. And then at some point, after the servants have been left behind, he asked, he said, Dad, I can see the firewood and, I, uh, and all of those things, but where is the sacrifice? And the father said, the Lord will provide a sacrifice for himself. And then he took the son to the altar. He tied him. Now, think of Isaac. If you were Isaac, and then you're looking at your dad, 100 years old, tying you to put you on the altar. You what are you doing? Uh, uh, at that point, you know, you might say, God, forgive me for trying to be rude to my dad. But he willingly allowed himself to be tied and put on the altar for a sacrifice. And God looked at his dad and said, don't do it. Now I know that you believe me and you trust me. So for all intent and purpose, Isaac was dead. The Isaac that was lifted up the altar by the time he came back to life was a living sacrifice. One that willingly surrendered himself and allowed to be used. The Lord Jesus Christ is also a living sacrifice. When he died on the cross, that's why we meet on Sunday mornings to remember his death on the cross and his resurrection. When he died, he was sacrificed for our sins. But he arose and is alive today as a living sacrifice. Of course, we know he's in heaven advocating for us, pleading for our sins. 
And I know that the only mark that the Lord Jesus Christ has on his body that came from men is the wounds. In fact, that's the only mark that we know that is in heaven today. The wounds on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's a living sacrifice who advocates for us and prays for us. So friends, present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. That's what he says. You died with him, you rose with him, so you are living with him. What shall we present or what shall we yield? Romans chapter 12 verse 1. This is a passage that I believe every Christian should know. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The NIV says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'd like you to notice a few things. He says you should present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. And the NIV says, your bodies as a living sacrifice, that is your true and proper worship. You see, presenting our bodies seems ordinary. But it is the most spiritual thing that we can do. It is the most spiritual thing that we can do. So what is worship? When do you worship? Where do you worship and how do you worship? Read that passage again. Just read the two passages again. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Remember the woman at the well? When he spoke to Jesus and said, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. 
What did Jesus say? Neither in Jerusalem or in this mountain or any other place. He says, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I'd like to suggest to you that you can worship God all the time. When we come together like this, it's corporate worship that flows out of individual worship. And we worship God by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, like I said, presenting our bodies seems ordinary, but it is also the most important spiritual act. Um, let's expand on that a little bit. I have, t I have two, two pointers. This one doesn't work, so, but it, it does that. And this one works, but it doesn't do that. So I have to <laughs> go for both of them. Our bodies are the temple of God. Again, another scripture. And a temple is a place where worship takes place. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy, Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Our bodies are also tools that the Lord can use. God can use my hands to pick up somebody that is in need, to type a letter to somebody that is discouraged, to send an email, you know, to somebody in need, to be a blessing to the children that the Lord has given me. We can keep going on and on. He can use my mouth to sing wonderful praise to God on the road, in the home, and um, where else? Name it. Or to speak a word of encouragement to somebody that is down or to preach the gospel on the street. He can use my feet, you know, to minister to somebody that is in need. To go to the hospital to visit a brother or sister that is suffering or going through difficulty. He can use my eyes to notice that something is wrong, just like he used the eyes of the good Samaritan. He saw that something was wrong and he acted. He can use my ears to sense when they are needed. So these are the instruments that the Lord uses. And when I allow the Lord to use my body in this way, on a continuous basis, what did it say? Present your body, holy and acceptable sacrifice. This is your true worship. 
So we can worship God not just when we come here. In fact, it should be a, a lifestyle to worship God everywhere at all times. I like to suggest that that means you should take care of your body. Don't abuse your body. It's an important tool in the hand of God. And that's why we started when we said, what is the most precious gift to you? And that is life. God has given you a body that he can use. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ needed to have a body in order to die on the cross. And he needs a body, the church, in order for the gospel to be preached. So he can use your body as an instrument. We're almost done. Our minds. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So why our mind? We need to present our mind to God. Why? Because the mind controls the body. What you think about is what you do. You say, well, you don't know me. I have thought about many things that I haven't done. Well, keep thinking about it and give it a lot of thought. At some point, you will get to do it. In fact, the scripture says this. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why you need the word of God to flood your mind. And think on the word of God so that you can act on the word of God. See, the instruction says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. God can also use my will. I have to act. Decide that I'm going to let God rule. So he can use my will. So again, don't be conformed, but be transformed. I like these translations, and I'm going to read them for you. New Living Translation. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Many of us sometimes find ourselves in that realm. The world begins to redefine what marriage is, and Christians flood to that. The world begins to say, you know, if we don't work hard, global warming, for example, is what is going to kill us. And the Christians say, yes, that's why you need to go to the scriptures. So what does the word of God say? Because the world is redefining values every day. And the child of God has to go to the word of God and say, I'm not going to conform. I'm going to be transformed by the word. That's why you need to be in the word of God. You need to be in fellowship where you can imbibe scripture so that at least you have truth in you to counter the world. So don't let the world do that. Another translation. You see, I went looking. 
This is Philip. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But let God remold your mind from within. You see, the world has, you know, changing patterns that they want all of us to conform to, which has nothing to do with the word of God. And if we are not transformed by the word of God, what happens is that we get squeezed into the mold of the world. And when that happens, you cannot present your body as a living sacrifice. You're almost done. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Notice that this instruction is to the believer, not to the non-believer. Because the non-believer is already marinated in the world. In fact, he can't be transformed unless he's born again. So friends, freedom from sin. Three main points. Know, reckon, and yield. What are we supposed to know? Come on. That sin enslaves and Jesus has set us free. What are we supposed to reckon? You are dead to sin and alive to God. What God says in his word is true for you. And what are we supposed to yield? Your body, your mind, your will, your heart to God. And do it daily. When you do this, you will have freedom from sin. It's possible to worship God outside the four walls of the church. In fact, most worship should happen outside the four walls of the church. And that's by presenting your bodies. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to yield so that we might be living sacrifices for you. Thank you, Lord. Pray you give us a wonderful day today and bless us in all of our activities. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.